You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All righty. Happy hump day to all my bow hunting nut jobs out there. Thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Today, we have a really cool and interesting podcast. And uh, our guest today is Brent Gargas. And uh, Brent just purchased a piece of property. And today, we are going to talk about buying property from, you know, just a regular guy. Uh, the standpoint of a regular guy. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, what he was looking for in a piece of property. We're going to talk about uh, some, maybe some questions that he had, maybe some things he didn't realize he needed to have, you know, before or after the purchase, and just the entire process of an average guy looking to buy hunting property. And uh, for this specific instance, with a house on it too. Uh, that basically made his wife happy. So this podcast today kind of covers this. It's just a BS session with Brent and uh, his journey of purchasing a piece of uh, hunting property with a house on it. I thought that was really interesting because someday I myself want to take that road and uh, it would be awesome to live on a farm that you, where I could walk right out of my door, go hunt and walk right back in to my door without having to even get into a vehicle. That would be a dream of mine someday. So that's uh, what we're covering today. Pretty cool podcast. Uh, hopefully you guys like it. Be sure if, if you do like it, uh, comment on the Facebook post that mentions this podcast. Uh, yeah, there's that. Now, before we get into today's podcast, John Livingston from Deer Lab talks about how easy Deer Lab is to use. Deer Lab is super simple. We basically give you tools to drag and drop your photos from an SD card or from your computer directly into Deer Lab, and we automate a majority of the process. We automatically sync with your w local weather station and bring in weather data that trail cameras can't capture. We also uh, bring in um, automatically organize all of your photos by date. We give you tools as far as filtering and all that, but it's really super simple. Um, as, as long as you can drag and drop or select photos from your computer 
you pretty much know how to use Deer Lab. All right, guys, I'm telling you right now, go check out DeerLab.com slash Nine Fingers. That's the URL that they've given to this podcast so that uh, we can get a free 30-day trial period. Sign up. You don't need a credit card or anything like that. And if anything, just enter your trail camera pictures into it and play around with it. And uh, hopefully you like what you see. Hopefully you see some patterns or something opens your eyes and it's like, oh my God, I should be hunting this piece of property on this wind. And I've been going about it all wrong. So check it out. Now, let's get into today's BS Session podcast with Brent Gargas. On the phone with me now is Brent Gargas. How are you doing today, Brent? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm uh I'm doing pretty good. I still got this stuffed up nose that I'm trying to uh battle, but uh we'll make it through. Uh, nice. I'm going to rely on you to do a lot of talking. Okay, I can do that. I like to talk. <laughs> good deal. Good deal. All right. So, first off, why don't you introduce yourself? Let everybody know where you're from and what do you do for a living? Sure. Uh so like you said, my name is Brent Gargas. I am originally from Pennsylvania, actually Western PA, about uh, an hour north of Pittsburgh. And my wife and I just recently, as of early June, relocated to, uh, I guess you'd say southeastern, south central Ohio. Okay. And and uh, I'm a registered nurse by degree, and I actually now I'm a regional education manager manager for a a large dialysis company. Okay. So when you say dialysis. Explain Mm -hmm. that to someone like me. Sure. So I work in uh, kidney failure. So when someone's kidneys stop working, you can't live if your kidneys don't work. You last a couple days. So what my company does and a lot of a few other companies is we have a a way of cleaning your blood for you. Your kidneys clean your blood and you you go to the bathroom and you eliminate all those toxins and, and electrolytes that you shouldn't have. So okay. what my company will do is we'll bring somebody in and we'll clean their blood for them on the machine and uh, usually three days a week. And uh, I'm just in charge of making sure that the all of the nurses that work for us in techs, you know, know what they're doing. And, you know, I keep their CPR cards up to date. My team and I do for uh, I'd say I'm over about five states now. Gotcha. So is this this blood cleaning, this dialysis mm-hmm. that you do, is that is this like something that these patients have to go through the rest of their life? Or is this something, you know, they're maybe waiting on a a kidney transplant? That's an awesome question. Actually, it's both. Uh, Preferably, I'd love to have everybody waiting on a kidney transplant. But um, we treat people as kidney failure can occur from infancy to somebody who's 100 years old. So it just depends on where they are. Uh, It depends how compliant they are in terms of coming to treatment and Without getting into too many details, someone who's on dialysis, their diet is incredibly strict. Uh, the amount of fluid they can drink is incredibly strict. And if people don't follow that to a T, it's harder to get that kidney uh, because there's not a lot of them out there to give out. So the hospitals and transplant organizations kind of go by compliance and how long somebody's been on dialysis. Okay. So really quick question. Can, can mm-hmm. the human body live off of one kidney? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And that's where the transplant comes in. Somebody who transplants a kidney just will give somebody one of their two kidneys and having one kidney, you can live your entire life without even knowing you you just had one. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. 
Well, that's enough medical talk for today. This, <laughs> yes. this is a deer hunting or uh, this is a hunting podcast, but uh, that's just interesting. I love the what people do for a living outside mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the uh, hunting passion that we all kind of share. But the reason I wanted you on this show today to talk was you, like you said, you, you moved from PA to Ohio and you purchased a property. And yeah. I take I take it that that move was driven by hunting. Well, uh, I wouldn't say it was completely driven by hunting. It was there was an opportunity for my wife. We reloc we live about three hours now away from where we used to live. So my wife was offered a, a position that was a really good position for her in and around the Columbus, Ohio area. And knowing we had to move, it became an issue of well, you know, we've been talking about buying land now for seven years. You know, we've been saving. And this is a rare opportunity where you kind of get to start from scratch. You know, you get to buy a new house and buying a house with property is a lot easier than just buying property. So we kind of went at this like, hey, we're moving. Why not uh, maybe make this work for all of our goals? Right. Right. So let's just kind of start at the very beginning um, Mm -hmm. of this entire process. When I think of property you know, if you're, if a guy's looking for just property, I, I feel like the option, there's more options out there than looking to buy a property with a house on it that you want, you know, that, you know, if you're wanting a house on it, it, it almost is like it, it's limiting what is sure. out there that's available. So talk to us about the very beginning, the search, what you and your wife uh, talked about, um, you know, maybe some of the, the things that you had to you know, you know, questions that you had to ask yourself before you even started looking. Yeah. So definitely you're, you're hundred percent right. The option of buying land without a house, there's more options out there. You have time. It's kind of like you're going grocery shopping for a specific item. You're just looking for land. And if you don't like that piece of land, then you move on to something else. Looking for a house brings in the, it's, and I wasn't expecting this, I guess, of trying to find a nice property in terms of will this hunt well, or is this something that's going to, I'm spending a lot of money on it. Is it going to be useful? But it also has to house, have a house on it that my wife likes. You know, you can throw right. me on a hundred acres in a shanty and I would probably be giddy, <laughs> you know? Amen. But yeah, my, my wife had slightly different standards in terms of what our house would look like. Not, it's nothing crazy, but she just, you know, wanted walls and a roof that doesn't leak where maybe I was a little more lenient with that. <laughs> that's funny. That's uh, so, exactly how, uh, uh, my wife is, I, I showed her a house, um, mm-hmm. near one of my hunting properties that was for sale. And, uh, there was parts of it. If you, you know, if it was dark, you could see through the walls. If yeah. The light was on, on the inside. <laughs> now for me, you know, I don't mind sharing a house with a couple field mice. If it meant that I had the opportunity at some big bucks, right? Absolutely. 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 <laughs> you know, if the door shuts the whole way, that's even better, you know? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, so, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so we started this search uh, in about early February, and we had a really large geographic area to search. I would say probably four or five counties, maybe, maybe bigger. Okay. So we started looking at houses online, you know, how we always search. I, 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 get on, I look at properties constantly. Now it's looking for houses, too. Right. So we, we first started looking at properties, looking at houses, and then we realized we need a real estate agent because this is too far away from us. Right. To be able just to drive and see if the house is going to fall over. Because tell you what, real estate agents are 
amazing with cameras. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they can take a picture of a house. You think it's beautiful. And I'm six, three and I walked into some of them and literally my, my forehead would hit off the, the entryway into the house. It was like a gnome house, but <laughs> you know, the house itself looked beautiful on the photos. So there was some challenges that way. Um, that's where we started and we just started making trips, you know, every weekend it was three, four hour drives to, and we'd look at five or six houses and we'd drive back home and, you know, the next weekend go look at another five or six and, Given that we wanted acreage and a house, it limited us on the number of properties that were available. Right, right. Now, what kind of numbers from an acre standpoint were you looking for? And then did you maybe have like a realization that's like, mm -hmm. okay, we realize that here's our budget. Mm -hmm. um, if the wife wants the how a, a better house, I'm going to have to come to a, a, a realization that I'm not going to get as many acres. Yes. Oh man. It's like you lived it with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm thinking this, you know, again, we've been planning and saving and everything else so long. I'm thinking I want a hundred acres. That's what I want. That was like my number, a hundred acres. To me, that just seems like something I could spend a season depending on how it lays out and not have to worry about finding other properties. Right. So we started looking at those properties and I've found some beautiful properties that were around a hundred acres, but the house was just not really even negotiable. We could, right. it just, it was bad, you know, and the amount of money that you're going to spend on that. And then you have to renovate the house totally. It just, it, it would just break the budget. Right. So right. that's when we started kind of cutting it back. And I looked at, at acreage as low as, you know, 15 acres. And then we looked at one that was like 67 was the highest. Once we kind of narrowed it down to what's a true, what can we really afford now that we have a little more information? Gotcha. And, and how did you guys determine your budget? Uh, I'm a numbers guy. It's weird that I'm a nurse. Uh, we, I really, I don't really do anything with budgets, but I've always been a numbers person. I, I do budgeting every two weeks. You know, we both get paid on the same day. So I have budgets planned out for the whole year. I know where everything's coming and going. And I just, in talking to real estate agents and finding out if you pay for a house of X dollars, what do I need to close? What percentage do I need to put down? What's my monthly payment going to be? And we just looked at what the monthly payment was going to be and where we felt comfortable with that. And then that was just our new budget. That was just it. Gotcha. So, at, you know, as you guys are, are looking for this, you know, you're trying to make your wife happy and mm -hmm. you're trying to find, you know, the right amount of acres. Did you ever run across a scenario where, man, this property is killer but the house may not live up to the expectations, not necessarily the number of acres, but you know, like, you know how we as hunters, we can walk into um, a property and just have this gut feeling like, dude, there's oh, yeah. a big buck that lives here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We had that happen. We actually had it happen with one of the very first houses we looked at and it was, it wasn't so much the house wasn't nice. The house was phenomenal, but it was one of those, why is this so cheap? You know, it was 68 acres. The house was, I mean, beautiful. He, it was much bigger than we needed. It's just my wife and I right now, much yep. bigger than we needed, but it just started. I'm all excited in the car. I'm like, oh man, this, we're driving around the property and I'm looking for trees to put tree stands up in already. And my wife's like pulling me out of the clouds back down to reality, you know? Right. And, uh, we went home and we talked about it and there's just something that just didn't seem right. It was a lot of acreage. It was beautiful acreage. It had some marketable timber on it too, which then started making me wonder, okay, wait a minute, this is pretty cheap. And when I say cheap, 68 acres, with a huge house for like $250,000. Yeah. 
Right. That right. that's pretty cheap for that whole package. Exactly. And so I started to kind of like explore what was wrong with it. And it was around the Chillicothe, Ohio area. And right. that could be a beautiful area. I, I don't know many people in Chillicothe, but I started to explore, okay, what's the crime like down there? Is there something going on? And then that came back that it was pretty bad in that little area that we were living in, although it was very remote. There were some issues that were going on. I don't know if you've seen the TV series, The Disappearing Women of Chillicothe, but no, there was like... It. Well, yeah, my wife kind of showed me that after that really pulled me out of the clouds. There was a number of of people that just disappeared. There was like a serial killer lurking in that area. Oh my you god! Know, that'll knock. <laughs> that'll that'll really decrease the value of property. Well, in an and imagine and imagine you having to go somewhere, whether yeah. it's just for a night, and your wife having to stay home out in the country alone. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, that'd be scary. And then and then shortly thereafter, that there was this like massive, there was like eight people that got killed in some drug ring and they never found the killers. And they're like, well, maybe it was the drug cartel. I'm like, okay, no deer is even worth that. That even brought me down to reality. And still to this day, my wife talks about it. Like, Hey, remember whenever you moved me to the serial killer area? And (laughs) so, you know, that was, I mean, we were like ready to go. My wife loved the house. I love the house, but I also love the property, but it was just, uh, you know, there's, there was just something that made me think this isn't right. There's it's just something not right. Right. Man, that's nuts. Yeah. Uh, I've never, ever had to uh, worry about, you know, all right, I'm going to go park my truck here, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I'll see, uh, you know, uh, a drug lord shootout or, you know, yeah. <laughs> witness a crime while I'm out in the timber. Yes, exactly. And I haven't either. And that's why it's kind of like it, it doesn't if you're not used to it, you don't live it every day. It, right. It's not real to you. And, you know, where right. we live now is beautiful. I mean, we have a couple neighbors. We live way out in the country now. and It's really nice. It's just it, I'm not used to that that thought process. Right. Right. So how long did this process take of you driving from PA to uh, to Ohio to look at houses? Uh, we looked at probably I bet we put looked at close to 20 properties. Uh, it took us probably a couple months of every weekend driving back and forth. And we'd look at multiple properties on those weekends. And it, we had been looking, like I'd said, we've been looking or talking about buying land for seven years. Right. And we weren't really looking at leaving the area we lived in. Now I was in Pennsylvania. I'm a huge deer hunter and nothing against PA, but the thought of going to Ohio when this came up, I wasn't sad that this was occurring in my life. Right. You know, right. there's definitely, even in one year being here, there's a difference in those two areas. So I was thrilled at that option, but you know, so the whole process is probably seven years, but when we finally had the, the job offer and we knew this was going to happen, probably a month and a half ish, two months, maybe. Right. Okay. Now I want to jump back just a bit and talk mm-hmm. about your savings, right? Okay. Um, you said you, you and your wife had kind of been saving for seven years um, mm-hmm. to make this kind of dream a reality of, of going and buying an acreage. What was your, what was your saving strategy like? Oh yeah. Well, I, again, I'm a budget guy, so I, I have to see it on paper to be able to, to understand it. And we initially started with, we both got out of college, uh, paying down our student loans, trying to get that stuff eliminated to free up that extra cash. And once you free up that extra cash, you either roll it into another payment, um, and not getting too financially minded on you. There's there's a book by a guy named Dave Ramsey. Right. I, I read that, and that's where most of my thought process started. I read that years ago. 
And so just rolling that over and put it in the savings every two weeks, it was just trying to save as much as we could. We're both pretty frugal. We don't need new cars. We, we both drive vehicles that are reliable. We drive a lot, but I didn't need a brand new truck when I bought a brand new truck. She didn't right. need a brand new Jeep when she got that. And it was just kind of making the, the priority of, okay, what's the dream here and how do we make this work? Saving every penny you can. Right. Now, was this also a dream of your your wife as well? Or did you kind of have to um, maybe nudge her or I don't want to use the word trick, but, use, <laughs> but you know, use your influence as mm-hmm. a husband to say, you know, hey, this is a dream of mine. I'd love it if it was your dream, too. I mean, was there any like conflict between the two of you? I'd say it whenever. So when we first started dating. I think the fact she made it through the first hunting season really kind of solidified, okay, this is going to work out, <laughs> you know, cause I, I remember I was in a tree stand, I shot a buck and I was supposed to be meeting her and her parents for dinner. And this is like a few months into our relationship and the deer bedded down. I'm like, I can't leave. You know, I shot it. It's laying there. I hit it a little far back and I just texted her and said, I'm not going to make dinner. I hit a deer. I got to wait for it. And she's not a hunter. She does not come from a hunting family. And it kind of blew her mind, you know, okay, what am I getting myself into? But she sees how passionate I am about it and um, the way we go about doing things. I mean, I mean, you're the same way in listening to you. It's it's not like you go out just to shoot a deer to brag right. to your friends. It's it's a process. You just you love these animals. Yep. And she sees that. She's a huge animal lover. So the fact I was just so passionate about it, it just kind of got her on board for it. I, I don't think she truly cares if we live on 50 acres or if we live on two or one. Right. But, you know, she supports me so much in my passion. So it's huge. Without that, this never would have happened. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then was there a certain percentage of savings? Like, you know, from a financial standpoint, you mentioned you're a numbers guy. Yeah. Is there a certain percentage that you tried to put, you know, take out of your paycheck every month to put into that savings account? Um, and then at the same time, did you sacrifice anywhere else? I know, I know you mentioned something about not necessarily have, having to have brand new vehicles, but mm-hmm. you know, I've heard of guys saying, you know what? I don't need TV. I don't need this, or I don't need this. Did you cut anywhere else? We did in spurts. I remember there was times where we canceled our cable other than like Netflix or something like that. Right. And we'd leave that on there. Uh, little things like that. And, and mainly the amount I put into savings, it varied month to month. I would look at what are our bills? You know, we, we had an average, I call it fun, food and gas money. And right. every month you have to leave money for fun. If you have no fun, you're never going to stick to a plan of saving money because right. I mean, I could, cause I wanted land bad enough that would happen, but to cut, cut everything fun out with, for your wife or your kids, it's just not going to work. Right. So we, I came up with this total number of what it was and then just everything that was left over went into savings. It was almost a budget to zero every month. I'd budget to zero. And if it wasn't food, gas, fun, or expenses, then we, we just put it into savings. Uh, the vehicles, cable, it, we were lucky. We lived in the country initially, so you know we had well water. I didn't have to pay for water. Our house was all electric other than I heated with wood. That probably saved us money too. I put in a, a fireplace, a wood-burning stove to, to heat my house that way, so that saved us money on our electric bill. I guess I never even thought of that till you just said that that was probably a portion of helping my savings plan. Right. And that was your house in PA, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Now you, you contacted a real estate agent. You, you started the whole process. You looked at a whole bunch of houses. Mm. Let's go into detail about 
from a land standpoint, what were you looking for as a hunter? I was looking for something that was in a good area. I, I just wanted a good area. In my mind, I knew parts of Ohio were, were places that held big deer. My, my brother lives in Ohio. I used to come and hunt Ohio a week or so, and I would come here for a week, and I would see these, what I would say are, are monsters. I mean, you live in Iowa. It's probably a different world for you, but still big deer. Right. So I wanted some acreage that's laid out well in terms of access. How can I hunt this? Is it... Uh, I'd like a mix of, of timber and maybe some open ground. You know, those were all my wants. I put the, I say that with I'm doing air quotes with my hands once. Right. And 50 acres or more then became like my new goal. Since we cut it back from 100, I was looking. Okay, let's find a place that's 50 acres. Okay. And uh, were you were you able to um, find that 50 acres with the the house that your wife wanted as well. I mean, now you have two specifics, right? You have Uh a house that makes your wife happy and 50 acres uh, that makes you happy. Was there a lot of those types of properties out there for you to uh, look at? No, there wasn't. Uh, There was a handful of them and it came down to, I mean, I can tell you there was so many splits between, oh man, this, this is a beautiful property. The house just, eh, my wife just isn't quite sold on the house yet. Or my wife loves the house and I'm thinking, I really don't like that property. Or it's only 10 acres or five acres. And if we're doing this, I really wanted to do more. Because I know after moving once, I don't want to move again. So I'm like, this is it. Um, We did find two houses, I believe. It came down to about two. One was about 57 acres and one is 52 acres. And... I really liked the property on the 57 acres. My wife really liked the house on the 52 acres. So we live in the house on the 52 acres, which is fine. It's it's just a different access type property. And it was almost like a, in hindsight, it probably was the best because it was a blank slate in terms of property. The property in 2016 was not a great property to hunt. It was just a big closed canopy woods. So to me, that's a blank slate. I can go in there now. I can play. You know, I got the chainsaw out and that kind of stuff. Okay. So did neighboring properties or um, like obviously you're looking at your, you know, you're you're looking at your property from a macro standpoint. Now, mm-hmm. imagine we're on a map now and we zoom way out and you can see kind of the, the surrounding 2,000, 3,000 acres. Did, did the uh, – did the macro of that property uh, make it of the entire area make a decision or, or influence what property yeah. you purchased at all? Absolutely, if that makes it, sense. It does. It completely. It, it actually influenced properties we would even look at. You know, I I wanted it. It's just going to make me sound like I don't like people. It's not that I don't like people. I just don't want to spend a lot of time around them when I'm at home. Right. I wanted to live somewhere where there wasn't a, a large population of people. So usually that's it, chunks of ground that's owned by a few landowners. So people have big chunks of ground. Right. And I have that um, the Onyx map application on my phone. So when we go to properties, I'd open that up and I'd look at who's how many houses are bordering this property. Am I going to have to worry about trespassers? Do I think I'm going to have to worry about, about trespassers? And that was a huge factor actually in where we act, where we ended up buying because I have 52 acres, but I'm surrounded by people who own you know, 200, 300, 500 acres. So I think I have 
three property owners that border my entire property. Awesome. And it's, there's, there's not a house that borders my property for the most part. It's all the backsides of their properties. Okay. So I know this probably wasn't something that you had necessarily time to do, or maybe, maybe you did, I guess I'm assuming at this point, Mm -hmm. did you throw trail cameras out on any of these properties before you made a final decision? I didn't. I would have loved to have done that. I walked the properties a couple times. And what was kind of weird is when we finally, we came back to this property we bought, I think three times and I walked the property twice. And it wasn't like a scouting session. It was just trying to walk, get a feel for the land, kind of get out there and see how big it really feels. And the, the previous landowner's son actually took me for walks on the property. And he was showing me like, yeah, you know, we used to hunt around here. And yeah, there's... just by in doing that, you get to see the old rubs that are there or right. the house, the house itself had some mounts in it that were taken off the property, which I think there was one that was like 180 some inches. I think it was 182 inches. So when I saw that in the basement, my, my, my wife was like, okay, it's over. <laughs> yeah, it's done. So I, so, okay. So, so you made, you made that decision. Was there any other obstacles or realizations as you start, as you were looking for these properties? That's like, oh man, I, I never thought of that. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know I had to have this ready or Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I mean, did you have like a a financial advisor, uh, work with you or was the real estate agent, um, you know, informative and helpful? So the agent was informative and helpful, but we had a, like a, I don't know what the term is mortgage broker, whoever works for the bank, the people who are in charge of the loan, like the title officer, I guess maybe is their name. Uh, That was very helpful. There was still things that popped up that I didn't know we either had to pay for or um, was going to be rolled into our mortgage or needed to be done in terms of closing on the house. And an example I'll give you is when you buy a property, you have to get it appraised, which that makes perfect sense. If anybody's ever bought a house, common sense. But appraising a property of high acreage and 52 acres is considered high acreage in the real estate world with a house. Okay. That's a whole nother type of appraisal. And there's only a certain number of people that even do that. So we're looking at trying to close on this property and the guy who's responsible for the appraisal comes back with, Oh, I can do it in, in July. Well, we're supposed to close in May. So that's kind of an issue. You know, what do you do now? I didn't know that was going to be an issue or trying to find a property that's comparable in price in acreage size to what we bought it within right. a so many mile radius of the house. There's not a lot of houses that sell 50 some acres. So they had a really hard time either appraising it or finding a comparable property. No idea that was going to be an issue. And it almost pushed our closing back in terms of we could have lost the whole, the property itself. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so once you got, you know, from a, from a feeling standpoint, right. Uh, mm-hmm. You and your wife have been saving, you know, it's now become a goal of both of yours. How scary was it to put in an offer on this property and then realize like, if this guy comes back and accepts it, we're moving and we're going to be landowners now. Yeah, it was, it was terrifying. And it was this, this weird mix of, I was over the moon excited that this was happening because it was a dream for so long. And it was one of those things where it's a dream, but is it really ever going to happen? Right. You know? And then it, I was so excited. And then you put the offer in and then I wanted to throw up and I don't know right. why, <laughs> you know what I mean? So a lot of our, my anxiety, I think came from the fact that not only am I a landowner, but now I have two, now I have two houses. 
I'm selling a house now and I'm buying a house. Oh my gosh, that's okay. Now what do we do? You know, we had, we had our house on the market, but, um, that was terrifying. The the thought of that much money going out every month or, Oh yeah. I'm I'm just glad that that portion of it's over. (laughs) Was, uh, was the purchase of this property contingent on the sale of your current home? I tried to do that. So we put the offer in contingent on that sale and they said they couldn't do it. They wouldn't right. do it. And then we had our house in the market. Our house was on the market for three days and we got a full price offer. I'm thinking oh, nice. this is, oh yeah, this is beautiful, right? Well, no, it didn't work out that way. It ended up that our, our current, our old home that we had just recently sold the buyers did their paperwork wrong or something. So we had it in contract for like two months and we had to take it and put it back on the market after two months of it being in contract. And we were already living in Ohio. So now we have a house in Pennsylvania that it's just open. There's no furniture in it having to put it back on the market. So luckily we didn't do that contingency because that weird curveball that threw in right at the end, we would have not been able to buy the property there either. We just kind of had to just go all in and just say, we're doing it. We're let's just do it. And let's, you know, let's cut back for as long as we need to and, um, and make it work. Right. So were you, was there a portion of time where you were paying two mortgages? Yes. Yes. That was the worst part. So the house was sold, our old house. And we had like a two month grace period when you buy a new house or new property that you don't have a mortgage, just depending on when you close. So the first month that we had to pay on our new place was July. Yeah. July. And July 1st, we paid our first mortgage on our new place. July 8th, I found out we had to put our old place back on the market. Okay. So we had to pay two mortgages from July, and we finally just sold and closed on our old place on December 22nd. Wow. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. So talk about that. I mean, talk about the stress of that. Well, it wasn't stress. It was For me, it was kind of like guilt. I felt like, uh, you know, we moved here. One, I mean, it was was a a great opportunity for my wife in, in her career, so... That's good. I'm glad she got promoted to move here, which helped that cause. But then I'm thinking, I know this is stressing my wife out because one, she loved the old house. It was an old farmhouse. She was emotionally attached to that house. And now it wasn't quite as easy of a transition from we don't have that anymore. We have this. Now we have both. And it's it's like a bad breakup. You know, it just won't go away. Right. And I, I just felt guilt for that. Like, oh, you know, if I wouldn't have wanted all this property, we wouldn't be dealing with this right now. And it was stressful. I'll tell you that. But I mean, we were fortunate enough that we did have some savings left and we just kind of, I mean, we lived frugally for, what was that like five months, six months, just pinching pennies just to make it work. And, oh yeah, it, it was really nerve wracking waiting for offers and tons of showings and no offers or an offer that's nowhere close to what you want for it. And, oh right. man. So you got the, you know, you got it sold and now it's, uh, you know, time to think 100% about this property in, in, in Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. Was there any updates that you needed to do to your house, uh, like remodeling a bathroom or putting in a new floor or windows or anything like that? Or was Nothing it like move-in ready? It was, for the most part, move-in ready. Like, we needed, we're going to change a couple things. We had to replace the carpet upstairs, and the bathroom was carpeted, which kind of grosses me out every day I go in there, you know? <laughs> so I think if somebody else lived here, and what am I walking in? So I want to rip that out and tile it. But there, was, there wasn't anything that absolutely needed done, other than when we moved in here, the washer and dryer weren't here like they were supposed to be. So we had to go out and buy a washer and dryer. We were not expecting to do that. Right. Uh, 
and and speaking of unexpected purchases, you know, mm. I was in the process of purchasing an acreage myself um, this past summer. Nice. And we put in an offer and it was accepted, but it was on the contingent uh, of the sale of this house. And the seller was able to put in a, you know, accept other offers if mm-hmm. we didn't, you know, if we couldn't find a seller, which, which that's what happened. But uh. I had this realization with, while all this was happening is, okay, wait, I have a long driveway now. Uh, I'm going to need some kind of four-wheeler with a plow on it or some kind of uh, snowblower. Uh, I have two acres or like, like an acre worth of grass. I'm going to need uh, a riding lawnmower because I'm not going to take two <laughs> days to w- – were there any other initial purchases that you guys had to have like a tractor or um, – a lawnmower with this property? So I was fortunate in a sense, my previous home in Pennsylvania, I used to help my neighbor take care of his ground. And by doing that, he kind of gave me full access to hunt it. It was only 20 or 30 acres, but it was my own little chunk I could hunt right below my house. So in doing that, I actually purchased a tractor that was a little bit bigger than what I really needed because I was mowing some ground for him and, and doing stuff like that. So we were able to bring that here. Now I would like a bigger tractor because I do have a lot of ground to mow and getting into the fun aspect of it, like food plots and stuff. I would love to have one that's maybe one size bigger, but it's not a need right now. Right. Right. Um, but no, nothing we had to do. We were able to work in a couple of negotiation pieces to this house. Like it needed uh, a radon uh, system in it because the radon level was crazy high. So I just negotiated that into the sale of the house, you know, we'll buy it, but you have to fix this first. So we were gotcha. able to get that done. Gotcha. All right. So you're moved in, your house is sold. Well, I guess some of the stuff you were kind of, you were, you're doing as you were selling your house. So mm-hmm. you, you got the property in June, right? That's when you moved in. Uh, t- we moved the day we moved in was May 23rd. We moved May in 23rd. that week. Yeah. Okay. So May 23rd, it's there. You moved in. As a as a hardcore bow hunter, whitetail hunter, the first thing I'm guessing on your mind was getting trail cameras out. Oh man, it was like gnawing at me. We moved. We had two giant U-hauls we had to unpack, and we had our family here helping. So I'm I'm unpacking stuff, but I'm just looking out the window. I just want to go out there so bad. I just want to put cameras up. It took me a couple of weeks to get out there before I, I could put some cameras up for sure. Right. So, you know, you set your trail cameras up, and I take it you waited for a little while. But mm-hmm. let's talk about what your goals were with this property. I mean, you walked it several times. It's now yours. Uh, you mentioned it was a this 50, 52 acres. What was the split, you know, like field or grass and, and timber? And then what were your initial goals to accomplish as far as land management was concerned? So my split would probably be, it's a majority timber. I would say I have about seven acres, maybe six that it encompasses like grass or field. And then the rest is all timber and it was all closed canopy timber. Parts of it were, you know, that you hear the phrase biological desert. Eric Long says that, that, that like really was my property. So as I'm walking it in the summer, I was trying to come up with, what do I need to do? But I was scared to do anything. I was scared to cut trees down. I mean, it's the summertime. Who, who knows what this is going to look like in the fall. So, you know, I, I did initially put in a couple food plots. I had some room to do that. 
And then it was just trying to figure the property out. How do the deer move here? Do I have any issues with trespassers or uh, any bad neighbors maybe I didn't know about? Okay. Uh, and did you have any issues with uh, people coming on your property that maybe in the past either had permission or just was like, hey, I've never been busted here before, so this is where I'm going to go? <laughs> so um, nobody, kind of. So I had this in September, I had a troll camera stolen on my property on the very back side of it. This is really weird. It's how does anybody even get here? It's a pretty far walk from any house. So right. really, it, I'm going to tell you, and I don't know if I can curse, but it really pissed me off. It almost felt like someone robbing my home. Not only was it stolen, yeah. but that was stolen on my property. And yeah. it was, I had it, my boundaries all marked. You clearly knew where you were going. Right. So I thought it had to be somebody who's mad. They couldn't hunt here anymore. So I did the whole troll camera trap thing where I set the one camera down low and then I put another one up higher on a tree and I actually caught the guy trying to take another camera. That's right. I remember yeah. that. I remember so, that on social media. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I caught him too. So I, I shared his picture on social media. I don't know who this person is just through the power of, of social media, a kid from Michigan, I shouldn't say kid, he's older than me, a guy from Michigan hunts my neighbor's property, recognized that guy, that guy gave me his name and phone number and I was able to get my camera back and get him kicked off the property for good. Awesome. Did you get your yeah. other trail camera back too? Yeah, he, he mailed it back to me. I just told him flat out, you either mail it back or I'm going to press charges. said, you have till Monday to get it back to me. And I, I got it back Saturday before that Monday. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you, I'm sure you know that I had, uh, I had uh, one trail camera stolen off my property. And the other people that hunt on this property, I got an email from them actually while I was at the ATA show this past week. And they got three trail cameras stolen Ugh. off the same property as well that I hunt. And oh, terrible. Uh, so I'm just like, we got to catch these sons of bitches because yeah. there's, there's nothing that pisses me off more than a trail camera thief. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the trail camera trap worked. I, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to work, but it, man, when I was flipping through that card and I saw him standing there with that Bluetooth in his ear, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This guy's in the middle of the woods taking trail cameras and I just got a great picture of them, you know? And honestly, who wears a Bluetooth, right? In the middle of the woods. Like who's going to call you? You know, there's not even cell service back there. Click. Uh, yeah, I'm busy stealing a trail camera. Uh, just yeah. email me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, All right. So you, you got that taken care of, right? Um, you know, did you go ahead and do any type of flute food plot work or uh, like to some any timber stand improvement on your property? Or was this first kind this first summer and fall more of a hey, let's take inventory and try to figure out deer movement? So a little bit of both. I, I did do some food plot work. I put in luckily back on the property there was an old oil well. So there was a half acre of ground that was just open amongst all this timber. So, you know, in August, I decided just to put something down there. I just did a poor man's plot, you know, just uh, cleared it out as much as I could, killed the grass, seeded over top, and then just mowed the grass down on top of it. And I planted just medium red clover and uh, winter rye. I actually came up really nice back there. And then up closer to my house, I did a turn up in rye plot. Okay. So both of them were poor man. They did. I was very fortunate that whenever I put it in, since it was poor man's style, I got a lot of rain right after. So it, the, the turnips came up really good behind my, right behind my house. The rye came up nice and thick. I did have some issues with some weeds in another spot, but really wasn't that concerned about it. But, uh, I did not do any timber stand 
improvement work. And I, I really wanted to, but I didn't know where the deer preferred to bed. And then the last thing I want to do is cut down all these trees and then just have it be a waste of space. You know, right. you, you can't put them back up after you cut them down. That's so right. I just waited for the whole season to kind of play out and figure out where the deer moved. And I'll tell you what, it was really low deer numbers back there just because there's no reason for them to really be back there. Right. That was okay. something I learned this year. Okay. So, you know, when I check my trail cameras in the summertime, that lets me know what deer are in the area and whether or not I'm ready to start getting excited for, you know, October 1st here in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me about your first card pull on your property. Oh, so the first card pull on my property was, um, average, I would say not exactly what I thought I would see. I had a ton of bucks on it, but it was like a bunch of, and I'm not an expert on aging deer, but they looked like a bunch of two and a half year old or two year old deer. So I'm like, ah, oh, you know, okay, these, these aren't bad. And a property that I was hunting close by as where I had my first really good card pool. It took right. probably about a month and a half before I, I had a card pool behind my house that just had this beautiful buck on it. And it was one of those, I told my wife, I said, I bet you could just hear the audible thump from under the table that just happened right now. Like I'm so excited <laughs> what I just saw, you know, and it, it was, uh, it was a weird feeling. It was just a real nice eight point, just a real tall, right. heavy eight point. You know, every time we, uh, every time we go out and we check our trail cameras, it's almost like, ah, yep, there's gotta be a 200 incher on her. I mean, <laughs> were, were you happy with that first card pull? Were you disappointed? Were you, I mean, what were your, what were your expectations moving to Ohio and buying this property? I mean, did you, were you, ho- I mean, obviously you were hoping there was a big buck on there, but what mm-hmm. were your expectations? So my expectations were that there was going to be a big buck on the property at some point. I, I would do a lot of driving around in the evenings with my, uh, my Nikon taking pictures and I was getting photographs of beautiful bucks all around just within like right. a two mile loop around the house. So I knew they were there and my expectation was they got to come through at some point. Um, I was happy with my first card pull, even though there wasn't giants on that first card pull, it was this weird feeling of, okay, these deer are living on my land. Right. That was very satisfying, oddly satisfying. Cool. And whenever that first card pull came with a good buck, that was over the moon. It wasn't even a, a giant. It was probably a 130 inch eight point, but you would have thought it was a 220 class deer. I was just, <laughs> it was just such a cool thing, you know? Right. And you know, in a way you're thinking, man, this deer's close. I, you know, yeah. I, 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 he's on my property. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's not a lot of pressure around. So I kept right. thinking, you know, if these deer don't die, they're going to be here next year. And without jumping too far ahead, I eventually ended up getting three deer that were probably three and a half year olds, maybe older, nice deer that I had in the summer velvet pictures of. And, you know, as of today, check my trail cameras. They all live through the season. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So that's, that's a cool feeling. Okay. So when you moved from PA or when you were living in PA, what was your goal every year as far as maybe uh, an age class or antler size? So Again, like I'm not an expert on aging them on the hoof. I, right. I, I would say if in a perfect world, if I could shoot a three and a half year old every year in Pennsylvania, you're doing really good. Gotcha. Uh, score probably for what, where I was hunting, 120 inch deer, 130 inch deer was something the neighbors talked about. Okay. You know, okay. so that was, that was always a goal. Uh, I would say for me, I, I don't think I ever saw a deer hunting in PA and the properties I had available to me that would have been over 135, 140. Gotcha. All right. 
So when you moved to Ohio, did those standards change at all? Yes, absolutely. Uh, my, okay. When I came here, I came here with two goals when I, for this, this hunting season. It was either shoot a nice buck on my property, one of the, the ones I was watching that summer, or it was 150-inch deers, what I wanted. You know, I have uh, – my biggest buck is probably in the one, low 140s, I would say-ish. So I'm like, you know, I know there's 150s here. My brother's killed 150s. I see him on my trail cameras on these other properties. Right. But that was my new expectation. And I, in moving forward, I, I think it's just going to grow or, or keep going up. Right, right. Especially if you plan on doing any type of, uh, you know, timber stand improvement mm-hmm. or uh, any habitat work. Now, as the summer, you know, as the summer started going on, what else did you do on your property to either improve it or to, you know, put yourself in a better type of uh, scenario to run into the, the deer that were on your, now I don't want to say hit list, but mm-hmm. run into the deer that, you, you know, you had set your goals for. Sure. So I, I put in a small water hole uh, on one spot. I, I did a lot with mock scrapes, actually, just for the thought, my my mindset was that I know they're not really bedding on my property because I, I just didn't have any bedding for the most part, just big closed canopy woods, but they have to work through my property to get to either. There's a lot of hay fields around me, not a ton of ag, but they really hammer those hay fields. So if they're working to, you know, property a on the, on the side of me, I know they got to cut through me. So right. I want to make them slow down as much as possible through me so I can have an opportunity at them. So I did a lot with that. Um, the two food plots, like I was talking about and, um, no, just the one water hole. I have another natural water hole that just kind of made itself, as odd as that right. sounds, that, that actually worked out that way. Do you have any uh, running water on your property, like a creek or? No, no. That's the, probably the biggest thing that's missing that I can't add is any type of running water. And there's not a ton around me for the most part. There's a pond that's about two properties over, but there was nothing on me. So I thought the water hole was going to be you know, the ticket. I really did. Gotcha. So one, th- one thing I didn't ask you was what is the, what's the, uh, surrounding area look like, um, from a, from an ag standpoint, was there like cattle pasture? Was there corn, bean fields, hay fields? And mm-hmm. then what is the terrain of your timber? Is okay. It ridges or is it just flat open? No, it's really hilly. So I live right on the line of Licking and Muskingum County, Ohio, for the most part. I live close to both. And it's a really hilly part of Ohio. Okay. And there's a ton of topography on my land. I have slopes facing, you know, north, south. I have some eastern facing slopes. And for 50-some acres, that's an odd to have the difference in, in slopes. Right. Um, if you look, if you would kind of look at my property and scan out, you would see big blocks of timber and tons of hay fields and cattle pastures. You would have okay. to go out pretty far to get into some big ag. Probably, okay. I'd say, 15, 20 minutes to get into, like, big ag. Got you. Got you. So by you putting in these small food plots right away, did do you feel that that influenced the deer movement in your area to say, hey, come over here now. I got some food for you guys. I would say in the summertime it did because there was still leaves on the trees. And what my property lacked, it kind of hid that, that uh, weakness in terms of no cover. But as soon as those leaves started to drop off, I was getting a lot of food plot activity, but it was – all after dark and I wasn't even hunting the food plot. So it wasn't, 
necessarily my pressure on that plot. I just think they had to move so far to get to it. Right. Right. So the way your property lies, um, is it one big square? Is it long and skinny? I mean, Mm -hmm. do, are you able to access your tree stand locations on your property fairly easy without what you feel like bumping deer being able to, you know, go low or, or stay high to avoid, uh, bumping any deer? It's, it's set up really odd. So my property is actually set up in two chunks, okay. which is kind of funky. It, it would, it reminds me of a figure eight, like an offset figure eight. Okay. So I have about a 22 acre chunk that my house sits on and there's a big block of timber there. And then there's my couple acre food plot way back behind my house. And then you follow an old logging trail and it connects you to a 30 acre piece in the back. It's a big rectangular piece. So access was my biggest anxiety causing thing this year was how do I get back there without bumping deer out? And it was hard. It honestly, without going in and knowing I'm doing timber stand improvement now starting and making the bedding areas, it was really difficult to get back there. And I think that's where I screwed up the most this year was just getting back there. The logging road is beautiful to walk on, but you're walking right through the center of the property. So that's not the best. So I did get um, approval from my one neighbor to follow their fence and I can walk the the border of my property and jump in that way now. And And I do have permission now to park at another neighbor's house and walk and come in from the far back side of my property as well. So that'll help me a lot next year. So as uh, summer starts to fade away and, and you start getting closer into um, closer into the, the hunting season, did more deer show up? Um, did you know? Were you, were you was there anything that got you excited, like really excited to start hunting this property, or were you just overall excited because this is your property? I'd say both. Initially when the season started and I remember the first time I hunted, I was up in a tree stand. It was, a, it was just a morning hunt and it got light and I was just sitting there looking and I was like, I, those trees are mine. It's such a stupid thought, but I'm like, that's my right. tree, you know, right. but it was a, that was a really satisfying feeling. You know, I think I saw two doe and a six point that morning. And the fact, I even remember that, I guess shows you what it meant. Um, and then as the season went on, I did start to get some pictures of some nice deer and I saw one just absolute slob chasing two does that I couldn't get a shot at. And that was, that was awesome. Okay. So did you, I mean, as you started hunting this property, were you able, you know, just vaguely, were you able to start understanding deer movement? And, and now that the season's pretty much over, are, are you going to be able to go into next season with a better understanding of how the deer use your property? So I have a better understanding for how they use it, but it doesn't help me. And I was given this analogy to my wife not too long ago. It was like we bought a 100,000 square foot factory and there was right. nothing inside the factory, just a big open floor plan. And you released 50 people in there and try to predict where they walk. You have no idea. They just wander. And that's what this is like. There's tons of trails, but there's no, there's no funnels really other than they fall the ridges, you know, and that kind of thing. But that's where my work is going to come in that I just started doing and try to create the bedding or, you know, I'm going to put in a couple more food plots, things to make the property a little easier to hunt. I've learned where I can't hunt, which I think is important too. There's a portion of my property that you, you just can't hunt it. The wind swirls too much. It's a bowl type shape and getting back to that portion is really difficult too. So indirectly, I, I hate to say I have to have a sanctuary on my property, but I can't hunt it. So that's just what it's going to turn into. Right. So 
you know, you mentioned you've already started doing some of this uh, property improvement. Mm -hmm. um, go into a little bit more detail about that about that specific property improvement, and then maybe what your goals are from now until the start of the 2017 uh, hunting season. Okay, so one of the first things I did to start all this is I ordered um, a map. I ordered one of the Huntera maps, one of the big okay. ones that sticks sticks to your wall. Right. That was kind of where I started. You can draw on those things and everything else. So that's pretty nice. And then I just started doing some hinge cuts, uh, edge feathering my existing food plots to try to give them a little more cover and maybe a little more natural growth to, to munch on before they get into the food plot. Maybe make it a little right. safer for them. And I'm lucky in the sense that there's a guy who doesn't live far from me who is a habitat manager. So I've been kind of picking oh, nice. his brain. Yeah, been picking his brain um, without, you know, name dropping. He he runs a place called Drumming Log. If you've ever heard of that. Okay. Um, so he's been out here kind of helping me, you know, maybe you should do this here. And he's got some connections in terms of timbering because I'd like to do a select cut back there to maybe make a little bit of cash and maybe cut a deal with your dozers are here. Can you, you know, doze in a couple food plots for me? Right, right. So, you know, my, my goal is to really increase my cover, make some good bedding, make a couple thick, nasty areas, and maybe do some soft cover to let a, more, let a little more sunlight in, let some of that growth come up. And I'd like to put in two more food plots and completely abandon the small half-acre food plot that I planted this year. Just let yeah. that grow up into old field because it's just – it's too hard to get to and too hard to hunt. It just doesn't work. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, anything else as far as – I mean are you going to expand – um, with water, you know, adding more of those, uh, little watering holes that you added, or is it what you have now good enough? I think I'm going to put in more. I'm going to take the natural water hole that I have and dig that out and make it bigger and maybe hold water a little bit longer. And a lot of, uh, apple trees, pear trees, some chestnut trees. I'm going to put more of the, actually some of those back on the property. Uh, my goal is if, if I could have a perfect world and this would start in 2017, that my food plots I'd create, and I would also put some apple trees in them. I'd put some apple trees and pear trees in some transition zones to help those deer maybe funnel them by food to from bedding to the, the nighttime food or wherever they're socializing, that kind of thing. That make the, the, the food plots as desirable as possible. Got you. Okay. So, you know, we've, we've kind of covered the, the full gamut with this property, you know, all the way from purchasing it moving it, you know, moving into it, um, the financials, and then, you know, hunting it your, your very first year. I know it's really early, but do you have any goals from um, a hunting standpoint for this upcoming season yet? Yeah, I would definitely say it. So the fact I have a couple of these deer that I know have made it through at least the, the toughest parts of the season, um, I'm assuming in my head I have, I'm going to have three four-year-olds next year on my property or at least right. spending a large portion of my time on my property. I, and I've never hunted an age-specific deer or really a specific deer, and that's kind of something I want to try. I have that option now. The hunting pressure is so much lower than Pennsylvania that I'm really going to try to hunt one of these specific deer depending on what they look like next year. Right. Okay. All right. And I, and I saw some uh, trail camera pictures that you've posted as well. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like you're, uh, you're in the right place. It's just a matter of time and uh, – how much work you want to put into the property. And next thing you know, you're going to be, uh, in, you know, shooting a world record buck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if that happens, then, um, I'll be, I'll be very surprised, but, uh, it, it's definitely, it's just a lot of fun. You know, I have right. something, 
I never expected to be doing this young for one thing. But uh, I guess I should say the one perk of buying a house on property is, as opposed to just buying property is the amount of money you have to put down when you buy it. Right. You only have to put 5% down if there's a house on it. So, okay. you know, that saved 15 to 20% that we thought we had to put down on land. Right. Good point. That made it easier. Good point. Well, Brent, I mean, this is an awesome conversation um, and definitely something for everybody out there who has always wanted to be a landowner and kind of have control over, you know, your own piece of property. I think this was a really good conversation, really informative. And I want to say thanks for taking time out of your day to uh, come on the show and uh, share that with us. Hey, it's not a problem. I appreciate you having me. I just want to say thanks to Brent for coming on the show. Appreciate your time, man. Awesome uh, information there for anyone looking to maybe buy some property in the future. Huge shout out to Deer Lab and Exodus Trail Cameras for uh, being partners with this show. Really appreciate it. Make sure you guys go check out those products. And uh, last and definitely not least, each and every one of you crazy guys and gals who uh, take time out of your day to uh, listen to an idiot like me ask uh, people questions. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And as always, you know, check me out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And I think that's it. If you guys want to be on the podcast and uh, you either have a, a story to tell about uh, a successful or unsuccessful deer season, uh, make sure you guys send me an email or message me via Facebook. And... Uh, or if you guys have some products that you like or dislike and you think that the rest of the world should know uh, your opinion, feel free to hit me up and we can discuss that on the podcast as well. Other than that, guys, thank you very much. It's hump day, so that means uh, the weekend is that much closer. Have a good rest of your week, and remember to wear your damn safety harness. <laughs>